Welcome to Physician Founded, a How It's Med mini-series sponsored by Macadamia, where we get to know the stories behind leading physician innovators of today. On today's episode of Physician Founded, we welcome Dr. Arash Zohor. Dr. Zohor is a community, family, and emergency physician who founded Inkblot Therapy, an online marketplace where certified therapists and coaches can connect with patients easily and online. I think you forgot to mention that Inkblot recently got acquired by Greenshield. That's a pretty big accomplishment. Back to the biz though. In our chat, we found that Dr. Zuhur is no stranger to learning. You know, he's read everything about marketing and how to build teams. And he also has this incredible humility and insight into why it's important to build a strong team as a physician innovator. We had a lot of fun chatting with Dr. Zuhur and hearing his story. I hope that you find it just as fun as we did. Let's get started. You, that's, that's a really interesting comparison that you made there to evidence-based medicine, um, because I understand that you come from a background of medicine overall. Um, do you think that your background has empowered you significantly to take on the role that you took on as, as the lead of Inkblot? Um, or were there certain attitudes that you had that detracted from your ability, at least initially, to perform effectively as, as a guide to the organization? Um, you know, as a, as, a, uh, as a mentor to a lot of startups in the healthcare space, in the health tech space, I guess, um, I, I find that understanding the culture of healthcare matters a lot. So despite the fact that earlier I said being a healthcare provider was my biggest barrier in the sense that I didn't recognize the blind spots early and, and you know, required a lot of effort to do that. Having said that, um, understanding the, the, the and, and I think when, when you're in the cult, when you're in healthcare, you may not recognize the, the, the complex culture that, that we live in. Um, but understanding that culture matters a lot um, because there are a lot of things where you may think would work, but uh, those within healthcare immediately kind of have the sense of this will not work. Um, and that's, and that's because culturally things are done a particular way and it's hard to know why that is. And this is something that I often, when I mentor health tech companies, I, you know, have to, when I spend some time explaining, I understand that it's a cultural aspect, um, that that's not intuitive right off the bat. Um, so definitely for me, that's, um, what, what I, I think I brought that to the table for sure. Um, and the, and, and. You know, there's a lot of discussions surrounding what the goal of leadership is with an organization. Um, when someone's leading a, a company or, or organization, you know, who should that person be? Initially, um, and definitely for most startups, the founder or co-founder or CEO needs to be the evangelist. They, they need to be on rooftops telling the world about how wonderful the solution is. It's not something they hide. It's something that they're excited to tell the world about and they're proud of. That's one of their biggest tasks. Um, and that to me is the, is the biggest factor that comes into it. And then after that is being open, being resourceful, building the team out that whole bit. I think you bring up a really interesting point there um, that as the leader of a startup, you need to be an evangelist. But as far as I've experienced in the culture of healthcare overall, it's really difficult to be an evangelist because there are so many dissenting voices, people who know their field so very well, 
that they feel that very strongly and often voice it that your evangelism is not welcomed at times. So how, how do you reconcile those two worlds? It must be so difficult. Yeah, so the, the big focus is knowing what the ground truth is. So the ground truth is not other people's opinion. The ground truth is on the end user experience. So for me, we had tens of thousands of people coming using a platform, feeling better both on their clinical scores, on the feedback they gave us, on the continuing to see their clinician, building long-term relationships, and a lot of them being significantly feeling better. We had people in rural towns messaging us and so on. So to me, that was ground truth. I could see people feeling better, getting better, doing better, using the solution that we're providing. Let's say I ran across a psychotherapist that said, I don't believe in, in solutions over video. If it's not in person, it doesn't work. That is wonderful. And I'm glad that that person has that perspective and that opinion. But to me, that's not ground truth. It is a, it is a point. It is something that goes into consideration of, okay, along the way, we need to account for this. And, and now Inkblot provides the option of seeing clinicians in person or via video, and you can flip back and forth and see that clinician within any channel. Um, so it's something that you take into consideration that this person's opinion represents, you know, 10, 20, 30, 80% of opinions out there. So it's a market segment that you need to think about, but it doesn't have to be today. So your solution today may be catering to 5% of the market, and that's totally fine. And you optimize for that. You remember those opinions of dissenting voices and down the line, you can start to accommodate that. The other bit is that in healthcare, um, we, you know, our confidence in, in treating our patients require us, require us to, to have confidence. We, we deal with a lot of complex decisions that are uncertain. And one of the things that clinicians learn and train in is feeling certain in the face of a lot of uncertainty. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of the core, um, core features of being a clinician where the reality is we don't know. The, the reality is that decision that we just made, we think is the best decision, but we don't actually truly know. And yet we have to be confident about it. We have to sleep at night. We have to feel good about it. And we test that and we hone that over time. So clinicians, build a gestalt about what works and what doesn't work, and they have to be confident in it. And it's something that becomes second nature, but anything new is going to be by definition new. And so it's, it's fine. And I truly welcomed all the people who said, I don't think this will work for my patient. I don't think this is what we need. I think this is the wrong way to go or the opposite. We've already had this and it hasn't worked. This has already been tried and so on. Um, and that was great because to me, that's feedback that helps shape um, the future of the service after we're that past those initial stages. Right. And I think it's interesting you bring up that, that idea of uncertainty because even in the realm of business, it's all about navigating ambiguity and uncertainty um, to address like a specific pain point a customer needs. And, you know, just oftentimes you need to, to navigate that ambiguity. You need a really good team. You need a group of people who can help you kind of get your product or in this case, your platform off the ground. So my question for you is like, you know, what did you look for um, in terms of creating a team to sort of get Inkblot to succeed? Yeah, so, so the first thing I'll say is that there's a lot of research 
uh, in this area of, of team building. And um, especially in the startup world, there, there's a lot of research done in terms of what kind of teams, whether, you know, should you go for the best of the best uh, in terms of what's, what's available in terms of the, the workforce? Um, should you go for those who are most culturally fit, um, who, you know, just, just feel the same way? Do you, do you go for a mixture of the two? Do you go for those who are very senior and experienced in, their, in, their, in the sector that you're in? Or do you go for those who are less experienced? Um, you know, should you hire an engineer that's, uh, and pay them 10 times as much if they're significantly more experienced or is that gonna cause issues? So the first thing I'll say is that these are questions which a lot of healthcare providers haven't thought much about because we're really busy learning, you know, the guidelines for management of diabetes. But at the same time, there are others who have spent decades researching and, um, and, and thinking about these topics. Um, so the first thing I'll say is that, um, you know, when we enter these things, whether it's human resources and the team that you build, um, or whether, you know, the financial aspect, the business model, et cetera, it, it, it you know, it, it does require us to have, uh, the, the ability to kind of say, well, let's, how, what can I learn from what's already been done in this area? So. The first thing I'll say is that these are things that does require uh, a lot of research, a lot of thought, a lot of discussion, um, instead of hiring your, your best friend, uh, or instead of hiring somebody that was recommended to you because they were recommended, or somebody that somebody else used, or a service that, you know, happened to advertise to you on LinkedIn, um, because a company or organization is just the people. It is, it is purely the, the network of people. Um, and it is all that matters. The, the, the service that's being provided doesn't exist without the people. Um, the, the organizational aspect, the, the brand, everything depends on the team. So I would say that to me, the team is, especially in this early stage startup, the most significant factor that requires a lot of thought uh, and a lot of work. And knowing what kind of team you want to build, what kind of culture you want to create, um, and, 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 and keeping that in mind when your instinct tells you otherwise. Um, and the reason I mention that is because a lot of founders tend to be the bottleneck. Hmm. Everything needs to go through them. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is, that is a big issue. Um, and the, the, the goal of the founder typically after the team is of a certain size is to get out of the way is, is to be a coach and to enable and to set the tone and course correct. And yet at the same time, enable people to be at the best that they can be. And, um, and that is something that I would say, not just myself, but a lot of founders initially don't recognize as something that is very satisfying, you know, uh, creating employment for people. Um, you know, seeing them grow within your organization, seeing your team kind of build out their own culture and, and be, you know, th those things are, are extremely valuable things, which are something that you don't initially set out thinking about, but become a huge part of why it all, uh, why it's a satisfying endeavor. Hmm. Well, that's a great, that's a great point. Um, you know, I like the idea of looking at the founder as someone who doesn't, you don't want them to be bottlenecking or micromanaging because you want to let the team sort of do its own thing. So the, the product or the platform can flourish. Um, but you know, for those of those medical professionals out there right now who are listening, who might be interested in 
uh, pivoting into the startup space involving mental health. What sort of opportunities do you see popping up over the next few years? Um, the, the, the first thing I'll say, there, there's a, the, the mental health field um, is, is, is completely new. I, I, like, I, I don't, you know, there, there's been, the field of psychiatry, if you will, has gone through several revolutions and, and changes and, and reinventions in its time. Um, and so uh, historically, psychiatry has changed quite a lot. And in fact, compared to a lot of other fields in healthcare, it perhaps has had the most uh, significant changes over time. Um, there are other fields which have had, you know, significant changes, but um, definitely um, psychiatry is up there in terms of both, in, uh, you know, what ideology looks like, what diagnosis looks like, what treatment looks like. All of that has shifted every, every few decades. Um, and so the first thing I'll say is that there's a, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work to be done on all of those aspects uh, in terms of prevention, in terms of diagnosis and assessment, uh, in terms of treatment, in terms of follow-up, in terms of the second round of prevention. Um, another way of putting it is that we have not make it, made a dent. So despite the billions that have been spent on mental health care, private sector, public sector, all around, the, the outcomes for a lot of things are worsening. So teenage suicide rates have doubled in the last 10 years. Um, it is still the number one cause of disability worldwide. Um, so despite the work that's done, despite the treatments that, we've ha that we have, um, things uh, are still not that great. And there's, there's a lot of way to go. The last thing I'll mention is that um, mental health care probably needs to be a lot more robust. Um, you know, it can't just be about uh, putting people on medications that for the most part don't work that well. There are root causes, whether it's poverty, whether it's unemployment, whether it's toxic work environments. Um, there is a lot of work to be done or whether it's physical health um, to, to really uh, move things to a better place. So uh, it, they're, they're, the field is so large that there's definitely no shortage of work that needs to be done. And uh, two last questions from me. Number one is the other aspect of your company, um, virtual care. Um, virtual care has grown in uptake so much over the past uh, past few months, past year overall, um, and there's been so much investment in it um, and so much, I guess, change. Um, would you say that you have the same sentiments about the future of virtual care as well? What do you think the next generation of virtual care is beyond remote monitoring as well as remote delivery of care, such as through Inkblot? Um, so when it comes to virtual care, the first bit is that doing care over video is not new. You know, uh, it's been decades. 20 years ago, people were doing remote care uh, over video. It is definitely a lot easier, a lot more accessible, and it's on everyone's phone, so it's, it's just there for everyone. So it does allow um, a, a much wider adoption. My feeling when it comes to, to virtual care today is that it is, um, you know, it's kind of where EMRs were when they first started. The goal of, a, of an electronic medical record was to create a digital version of the, of the physical file. Um, the fact that you had all this computing power was ignored. It just was a storage device, just like paper was. And today, slowly, 
people are saying, oh, wait a second. Um, it's not just a digital file. You also have computers behind this. And perhaps we should start to do analytics. Perhaps we should do interpretations. Perhaps we should start to do recommendations. It has gone a bit too far in the wrong direction uh, in terms of data entry and people spending a lot more time looking at screens. And hopefully it will course correct and move in a much more positive direction uh, where it will analyze the patient and tell me, you know, in, the, in all the research trials that are done, what does that subpopulation look like and what do they respond to? I feel that telemedicine is again at that stage where we've taken something that happens in person and we've just kind of doing that over video now. But the question is, what is different about this medium? How can it, um, how can it behave differently and what new features does it have and what, do, what can care look like? Um, and there's a lot of innovation happening in this space, but I would say in a very fragmented way. So there are, you know, startups looking at, can you provide biometric data by just the video feed? And, and you can show everything from how stressed someone is to their blood pressure, to their heart rate, um, to whether they're lying or telling the truth. You can do all of that by just the video feed analysis, nothing else. Um, there are people looking at, you know, if someone's at their home, um, what can we do in terms of uh, image recognition and various other technologies? And then there's a lot of, uh, lot of startups looking at devices and, and what does at-home testing and at-home care look like? Um, and what do those solutions look like? The telemedicine revolution that's occurring in the, in the clinician space is also occurring in the pharmacy space. So now, just like everyone's not going to stores anymore, they're having stuff delivered to them, you have the similar thing happening on that end of the spectrum. So as these two pieces come together, um, it'll be another change in terms of how healthcare is delivered. What, what is the new role of pharmacists in this new system? How, how does that interplay occur? Um, and then of course, if we move away from episodic assessment that we're used to as clinicians to continuous assessments, what does that mean? And we're starting to see a bit of that with say the Apple Watch picking up AFib that we don't know what to do with to a lot of other things where we have continuous measures and we were gonna have a hard time knowing what to do with. Um, and so as the age of sensors grows, we again are, are facing a, a whole new set of challenges. The last thing I'll mention is that it's complicated because now big tech is coming into health tech. Um, and so that area becomes even more complicated as each one tries to own the space the most. So whether it's Amazon Care, um, in the in the U.S., that's likely to go global at some point, um, or whether it's Apple or Google. So, I would say the virtual care is very, very, very early stages. We haven't even started, and today it's trying to mimic what happens in person. But five years or ten years from now, it's likely to be significantly different, and a lot of the large players are well aware of that. and And I think it's really you know, it's really important for us as healthcare providers um, to really take the time and help shape where it goes. So it isn't the board of directors at Apple or Google who are making those decisions. That's, that's super interesting. Um, but to bring it back to you as a person, Dr. Sohor, um, what, is, what does your future look that you're willing to share? You've done so much already. Um, I, I'm super interested to see where you're going to go. Um, I, 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 I'm not sure. I've spent a lot of time kind of thinking about various things. 
um, in this space. And um, I have a few projects that I'm working on. Uh, one is uh, related to affective computing. So computing uh, that focuses on emotions and emotional analysis. Um, I'm working on another project looking at uh, programmable prescriptions and what would that look like? And, uh, you know, what happens if we move past uh, the current uh, feedback loops that we've created? Um, and then I'm kind of focusing a lot more from a healthcare delivery perspective at a systems level. And I really have better understanding how the various pieces are fitting together so the modeling can be more robust. Um, and, and, you know, I'm someone who has a lot of ideas, so it's more recognizing that I can only work on a few things. And the last bit is that if I can help out um, any, any, uh, anyone who, who, you know, in any way that I can with their, um, with their, with their kind of projects or things they're considering, uh, enable them in any way or, or provide any, any feedback, um, I'm also more than happy to, to be doing that. So this is, you know, as a healthcare provider, I think that I have a lot of sympathy uh, as someone who's done all those, you know, overnight emerge shifts, um, I really want to make sure that I, I'm supporting the, the team as, as a big whole uh, as much as I can and that's um, doing my, what I can uh, to push things forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Met. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmet.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Till next time, bye-bye.